Hey, Spartans. There's a lot of change and uncertainty in the world right now. But if you listen to this podcast, you already know we're all about resilience in the face of challenge. We're also about community. We can't hold in-person events right now, so we've decided to use this opportunity to fight isolation by deepening our connection with you. The Spartan Up team is hosting daily open chats on Zoom, and we're inviting you to join us and many of our past podcast guests. Show up on the Zoom calls, and you can interact with people like Dean Carnassus, Mark Devine, Amelia Boone, and Kristen Elmer. We've been running them for a few weeks now, and we found that the information in some of these sessions was so good, we wanted to share it with the rest of you. Today we're publishing The Conversation with Mark Devine, the founder of Seal Fit and Unbeatable Mind. He's also the author of a new book called Staring Down the Wolf. We recorded this conversation on March 31st. If you want to join some of these meetings, come and find us on Spartan Up Podcast on Instagram. We'll be sharing the daily meeting links and guest schedules there. And let us know if you want us to publish more of these Zoom sessions on the podcast. This episode of Spartan Up is brought to you by Fresh Meal Plan. Deliciously prepared meals delivered right to your door. Visit freshmealplan.com slash spartan and use the code SPARTAN50 to save $50 on your first two weeks. So just so everyone knows who Mark Devine is, great friend of the Spartan Up podcast. Um, Mark is a um, retired Navy SEAL. Uh, he is the founder of Unbeatable Mind. He's the founder of SEAL Fit, uh, Kokoro Yoga. Um, really um, a very sought after speaker, thinker, leader. But I guess what we all have in common is everyone's here because they want to find a way to come through this weird time that we're in powerfully, uh, productively, proactively, um, so they can come out stronger for themselves, their families, their communities. And, uh, and I think there's going to be a new normal after this where we're all going to be looking for ways to help as well. I guess I'll just start by saying, tell us where you are, what your day-to-day is like right now, and a little bit about how you, became to, how you came to become the Mark Divine that we know. Man, it's a great honor to, to talk to the Spartan community. I'm a good friend of Joe's, have been for years, and um, lots of fun stories there. I live in uh, San Diego, Carlsbad, California. And I'm in our office right now. That's why I got the cool little, you know, screen behind me. This is not like my home setup or one of those funky, you know, funky Zoom backgrounds that I was always yep. shifting like that. And uh, nobody else is here because, you know, we're pretty much working from home like everybody else. I am, uh, I got my start. I went through SEAL training um, back in two, let's see, 1990. I'm dating myself. I know. Um, but what most people don't understand or uh, really get about me unless I tell them or they read one of my books, but you know, I'm, I'm really multidimensional character. Being a Navy SEAL was just part of it. I was a SEAL for 20 years, led teams uh, in, in all sorts of environments, 52 different countries and um, in combat and all that. But I was a reservist for half of my career. And as a reservist, I was able to be in business. And then the other piece, which is un, uh, uncommon about me, is I got into um, – meditation, breath work, all the inner arts that are now becoming the rage and, and the most important um, aspects for us to really drill into as leaders is to think, how do we think differently so we can navigate VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. I started that when I was 20 because I um, stumbled into a martial arts studio where I had a Zen master kind of masquerading as a martial arts instructor. And so he, he taught a few of us students who were interested Zen training. And that was um, in my first career before I joined the SEALs. I was a CPA. Actually, I was working for a CPA, getting my CPA, getting my MBA in New York. And um, it was the Zen training that cracked me wide open like an acorn and, and showed me the power of the mental training and showed me also my dharma, my calling, which wasn't to be a CPA or go back to run the family business. It was to be a warrior and a leader. 
And that led me to the Navy SEALs. The training also allowed me, John, to be, you know, absolutely to crush the hardest training in the world. Joined SEAL, uh, my buds class 170 with 185 stalwart individuals, <laughs> badass, you know, human beings. We graduated with 19 and I was number one in my class and my entire boat crew graduated with me because we committed to each other that we're gonna get through this together. Like we were the ultimate Spartan team, maybe the first one besides the Spartans, <laughs> first one in America, you know? And, and we just dominated, right? There was nothing that could hurt us because we, we took care of each other. We were focused on our, you know, each other and not ourselves. We checked our ego at the door and I taught them the skills of breath control, concentration, mindful awareness, visualization and micro goal orientation, all the skills that I now teach to leaders in Unbeal Mind. And anyways, that, that experience was so profound for me that I, you know, I remembered it and I tried to repeat it as much as I could in the SEALs. And then I got out into the civilian world as a, when I was a reserve officer, I had time to go into business. And um, my first business was kind of an interesting experience. It was a brewing company and my teammates certainly were not Navy SEALs. They were my brothers-in-law <laughs> and Floyd. That was a painful experience. I wrote about that in my recent book, Staring Down the Wolf, how that was like my real foray into emotional development started in the entrepreneurial world because I didn't have the system structure and the mindset and a homogeneous unit of special forces operators by my side. I had the everyday soup of the individuals, you know, that, that show up on a work team. And I know a lot of people who are listening are like, yeah, that's been my experience too. It's hard, hard work building a team in the business world and um, we've got to get better at it because the world needs us as entrepreneurs and, and uh, corporate leaders, organizational leaders, doesn't mean it have to be corporate, to think differently now because the world's different. We obviously are seeing that happen before our very eyes. So at any rate, I, I, um, after that experience, I committed never to, that was kind of like me going back and being a CPA. I, I just got out of the Navy and said, oh, I think I'll be an entrepreneur and I started a business to make beer and to make money. And it was not the right reason. My why was way off target. So after I sold that business and got as far away from my partners as I could, that's really when I started to get, I went back to my meditation practice, back to my visualization practice. And um, out of that process, which took a few years, um, SealFit was born. And there's more to that story, of course, but uh, SealFit then is where I began to really architect the um, the principles of what I called unbeatable mind. And that led to two businesses, SealFit, where we train hardy warriors and extreme athletes um, in physical mental toughness training. It's team-based. And then um, unbeatable mind, which is really our corporate training and coaching division. So um, unbeatable mind is kind of taken off because this is where we get to teach both the principles of how do you be a you know, badass leader as if you were le leading your team like a SEAL team combined with how do you develop the warrior um, internal skills so that you can be like the Zen master sitting on his bench developing massive potential, but then ready to spring into action, you know, at the moment the crisis happens or the, when the decision needs to be made. And I found that it's this juxtaposition, the yin and yang of of cultivating your massive potential that we all have on the inside, the inner domain, and then acting with like Navy SEAL like precision and focus and concentration, you know, in the external domain. So the juxtaposition and that said another way of our potential with our performance. 
So it's not just peaking your performance because you could be, you could work on peak performance, but performing the wrong things and, you know, and not performing from your full potential. So peaking your potential and your performance is what, um, what I've learned to do and what I try to teach people. And there's a lot of nuance to that, but uh, at any rate, uh, without going further down that rabbit hole, I think, you know, there are high performing people, there are low performing people, and we can't just assume that they're going to stay in that box. You know, that there are some people who have been low performing until now, and maybe there's an opportunity for them to become higher performing. Were you always a very high performing person or, or can you think back to a time in your life where you're, where you're like, they never would have said that guy was going to be this guy? You know, I was, I considered myself to have been a pretty average kid growing in upstate New York on my side on the positive side, um, I did get into athletics and I was a competitive swimmer. Yeah, but that was it. I wasn't like the best swimmer. You know, I was always number two or three. And um, I had a lot of confidence issues because I grew up in a pretty um, turbulent household, let's just say, a lot of alcohol, a lot of violence. And, uh, you know, some of your listeners might be like, yeah, I yeah, had kind of that experience too. We all have our, you know, our stories. And what that caused in me was a, a deep sense of um, like lack of deep confidence in my worthiness or my strength. And so I was always number two or three, but I tried to overcome it by pretending I was perfect or projecting this era of perfectionism. So those are my, my fear wolf shadows, you know, and I use that term fear wolf in this, in my new book, staring on the wolf regarding those uh, shadows and biases and, and conditioned behavior that come from early childhood that take, a lot of courage to overcome. And it's, like I said, really important for all of us to do that now because it's that, it's those things which keep us from connecting at a really deep level with our family and our team and, and to really understand or appreciate that we're all in this together across the globe, you know? Wouldn't it be nice right, if, if everyone had that attitude that we're all in this together, let's just, just drop all the, you know, all the bullshit and just come together and solve these problems and you know, heal the mother earth and you know, move forward. But you just don't see that. And it's because of this, you know, shadow that everyone's carrying around. And then you have the collective family shadow. And then, the, you know, you have this, you know, the cultural shadow. Every, you know, every culture uh, society has that. So at any rate, for me, John, uh, I, I don't think I was a peak performer by any stretch of the imagination. What led me, what op started to open me up and uh, was a... Um, you know, I was heading down the path basically of getting a job at my family business after college. This is what all my siblings did and they're great people and, um, and they're still working there today. Family business was over a hundred years old and it was pretty stable. And when I went to a junior year of college, I went overseas in one of these study programs. That's why I'm, I'm such a big proponent of getting out of your comfort zone and going and doing something really different for a long period of time. Now, for me, it was only seven months, but I, you know, if I could have done it longer, I would. Because, you know, being in another culture and immersing yourself in different ways of thinking as a young person just, just cracks you wide open. And at any age, you know, and I love it when I hear people like saying, I'm packing up, I'm going to go to another country for a year like Joe did. What an incredible experience for his kids and even he and his wife, because it changes your brain and it changes how you think and it gives you a lot of confidence. And also you see the similarities and that connection that we all have as humans, all valuable life skills. Well, I did this at, when I was a junior in college and suddenly I came back from college and I'm like, hey, I think, you know, I might be able to hang with some of these other friends of mine who are 4.0 students and going, you know, to Goldman Sachs and whatever. Maybe I'll at least apply. And I was a solid B student. And so I did. 
And, you know, because I had the courage to at least go down that road, you know, someone noticed something in me and that was the, the firm that hired me. And that was uh, Cooper's and Librand. And they hired me and brought me down to New York and gave me the opportunity to go to NYU. And I had to literally prove myself for the first semester because I was on academic probation. And so slowly I was developing a little bit more confidence. But it wasn't until I took up Zen training and began to investigate the stories that I was telling myself. And I recognized that those stories were not me, that there was something much deeper inside of me, much deeper. And that, that aspect of myself that was deeper was giving me really profound insights, not only into what I was meant to do and my power as a human being, but also the vast power of all humans, right? And that's when my true confidence started to come to, you know, come to light. And so the, by, and then I began to really align with that and to see myself and then to practice the visions in, a, in an actual visualization practice. Now I tell the story in my book, The Way of the Seal, before I even joined the SEALs, I, I visualized myself just crushing SEAL training and becoming a SEAL officer for over a year, every single day. And nine months into that practice, I had a profound shift in consciousness where one period of time, it was like over a three or four day period of time. And I hadn't even gotten accepted to the SEALs. I had just committed to it. I knew it was the right thing. The, the recruiters were telling me I had a 0.5% chance of getting in, you know, probably be easier for me to get, become an astronaut, they said, because they're going to take one or two that year from the civilian world. And I was a civilian. I was 24 at the time. And um, I, I just said, okay, whatever. Nah, 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 nah. And I just visualized it every day. And nine months in, I had this profound sense of certainty wash over me that this was a done deal, that I was going to be a Navy SEAL. I just needed to kind of trust and continue the process. And a week later, my recruiter called me and said, Mark, congratulations. Like, I never thought it would happen, but you got, you know, you got the uh, slot to go to Officer Canyon School and then follow on to SEAL training. And when I went to SEAL training, I had the sense that I had been there before, right? I was just walking this path that I had already, you know, won in my mind. That's why, you know, I'm so you know, I'm so certain because of my own experience of the power of visualization, right? To, if you visualize the right thing that's in alignment with your, your thing, that's your, it's your thing, and you can see it clearly in your mind's eye and you practice it every day, it becomes destiny. It may not look exactly the way you see it because nothing can, but it'll happen. It's like creating a, um, a memory of the future right? So you have this memory of a past event, which you think happened a certain way. And then the more you obsess about it, you're basically cementing and reaffirming that memory until it becomes a story that you drag around for the rest of your life. You do the same thing with visualization about the future, but this is a story that you get to architect, you get to write the script, and then you get to plant that memory, you practice that memory, you obsess about that memory, and then that becomes the new you. This is profound. And I think it's a skill that has a lot of nuance to it, that, but it can be taught. And all leaders can use this to navigate VUCA and volatility and uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, because it's the vision of who you are and where you're going, both individually and with your team, that's going to um, remove the uncertainty. And so you just navigate the volatility every day with really good actions. And there's other skills to really 
um, refine your thinking around those actions and you use, you know, we call them the big four skills to navigate the, each day with fidelity, but it's the vision for your future and what your mission is and how you're going to, you know, uh, get to that. That is like really, really powerful and important. There's two things I want to dive into that you brought up. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to throw them both at and you can decide what order you want to do them. So the one, um, you talked about Zen training. And I think a lot of people have this uh, um, intimidating idea that Zen involves sitting under a tree for many, many, many years. And, uh, right. and um, you, you know, and I know that you've broken it down. Um, a breath is such a huge part of it. I'm going to ask you to dive into that a bit. And then the visualization as, as the two parts, which you've already talked about the visualization. Right. And the other is um, you talked about people getting into uncomfortable situations and, um, you know, choosing to go to another country or choosing to put yourself in a position that you're not inherently confident. And, um, and right now, people might naturally say, well, that's easy to say, except I'm stuck in my house or I'm, uh, I'm, I'm being laid off from my job, whatever. And, and I like to think that that's still a great opportunity. I mean, mm -hmm. it, that you didn't choose this. It's, um, it's different than your normal routine. So, so you get to grow into that. So, um, so and, and I know that you have a story about, um, about uh, spending um, some unwanted time in a one-man submarine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe uh, the, the, the two things are, um, are, are a shortcut to Zen. And I know there's no shortcut, but in terms of the things people can practice that you can sure. talk about, the, the breathing, why not? And then the other is when you find yourself in a situation that you didn't choose, where mm -hmm. there's still opportunity for growth in that. Yes, great questions, great questions. Um, let me deal with the second question first. Sure. If you're sitting here in fear of losing your job, then you're not doing your team any favors, right? If you're sitting at home saying, I'm really glad I've got this time off because I hated my job, but you're not doing anything about it, then you're not doing yourself any favors. If you love your work right now, you'll be thinking about how you can help your company, your team, or if you're the owner, how you can navigate this time to come out of it stronger because there's, you know, normal is new, right? It's not going to, we're not going back to whatever it used to be. There's going to be some new version of reality that emerges on the other side of this. And it's an, a tremendous opportunity, like you said, Johnny, to think differently, right? How can we, how can I be part of the solution to help my company or if I'm the company to think differently, to do things better, to do things um, maybe that I was thinking about or, or dancing around, but didn't have the courage to do. Or maybe I learned from how other people are really dominating and navigating this, this crisis. Um, and so if I love what I do, or if it's my company, this is a tremendous opportunity. I'm not saying you don't also have to navigate the day-to-day -day, uh, sniper fire that's coming at you and figure out how to manage cash and deal with po potential furloughs and layoffs. I mean, I know Spartans going through major day-to-day -day figuring stuff out. At the same time, I can guarantee that Joe and the, your team is thinking, how do we come through this more resilient how do we really leverage, you know, um, virtual training like this in the future? How do we reach more people? What if people don't come back to the races as much because they're afraid of blah, 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 blah. And it's all happening. And there's a confidence that we'll figure this out and you'll get stronger, right? And the company will be stronger. It won't look quite the same. Everybody needs to be thinking that if they love what they're doing or if they're in charge. And 
the converse to that is if you never liked what you were doing and you were just just marking time and you had this attitude because your team sucked or you know the job was just uh, temporary and you're happy to be home away from it what are you doing about it right this is your time also to retool yourself and so get a coach certification we offer a coach certification on Bill mind and it's all virtual you know you can become a certified Unbeal mind coach in eight weeks and guess what coaching is all virtual you can you don't have to do coaching person to person you know all of our coaching has gone virtual of course using zoom <laughs> maybe yeah. we should test in zoom real quick and um you know what are you doing now to learn new skills and, and i'm not saying anything new here but questions are you doing it now in order to do those things you've got to use this time to become even better than you were and that means you got to do the things you were resisting now, everyone resists a little bit of something somewhere even me and so we get into these ruts and we think we're doing pretty good you know because our workout's solid and i've got the you know spartan race plan next month and i'm going to do three trifectas this year and that's all good but you know i'm still not getting enough sleep or i'm still right my i could dial in my nutrition but i'm not quite dialing or, or i'm avoiding those crucial conversations so emotionally I'm, I'm always dragging around a little bit of regret dial it in now so you can think more clearly or another good one is back to meditation it's like and this will you know tie us into the next you know next section which was your first question about zen and how do we use it how do we practically go about uh, doing that a lot of people that i talk to that come to and deal mine they understand the value of meditation and silence practices but they don't do it because they're too distracted and they're too overcommitted and they're too stressed out and so they they maybe like listen to a little bit of an app now and then and they say well i i, I use headspace for five minutes a day and that's meditating it's not that's using headspace for five minutes a day it's not doing much for you except for maybe giving you a pause which is good and that'll have a little stress management uh, benefits so now now that you've got all this time you have no excuses right you should be dialing in your inner game so when you come out of this it's a done deal you you there's not a day that goes by that you would even remotely consider not doing your inner work not curating the quality and the directionality of your thinking not uh, appreciating your emotional world not connecting to your witnessing self so you have that direct experience of spirit and your heart because that's where the most valuable information comes from from the inside from the wisdom of your gut and your heart and you know your soul's kind of um, aspirations right which is telling you to go in a certain direction and so you have this precious opportunity you know, I, I honestly have this kind of, this said a little bit with tongue in cheek, but it may be more to it than that, that, you know, this COVID is basically Mother Earth telling us to slow the F down yep. and take some time to, to heal, heal Mother Earth and to heal ourselves and to come back together, like we were saying at the beginning, to recognize that human race is all interconnected and my actions affect people on the other side of this planet your actions affect me. Let's all recognize our sameness while, um, while celebrating our uniqueness. This is an opportunity for us to go deep with that and to unplug, to go within, to, you know, to practice pratyahara, which is the turning in from the yoga tradition, 
to turn off the constant news feed and the Facebook feed and to let other people tell you when something important happens and you can smile and say, yeah, that's interesting. But I kind of knew that because I've been practicing my meditation and you can sense, you can sense the patterns and you can sense what, what information needs to, you know, what's the important stuff, the true truth, the true wisdom, and that heartfelt connection all comes from practicing the inner skills. Now, let me shift fire. Those skills are hard to develop, especially when you're distracted, but also because we haven't been taught. I was fortunate enough to have a Zen master teach me a couple things, and then I was able to kind of ferret out the rest and also got a lot of other training to include training in uh, the yoga eight limbs as well as uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And I've, all, I've spent it, my, uh, you know, kind of my passion and my mission is to, you know, to practice this stuff myself, to teach it, to shit can what doesn't work, and to translate it in a way that makes sense to the Western mind. Because um, not all of us want to put on a, you know, a yoga outfit or a gi and do some sort of Eastern practice, right? It's just not for us busy, you know, achievement-oriented professionals. So I call it taking the foo out of the kung fu. So um, I've taken the foo out of the kung fu and, and come up with one way, one path that can work for a lot of people. And so um, let me give you that, the SDV experience first, and then I'll tie it back together to maybe some practical skills that people can use. So when I was, um, I mentioned that my formative years, 20 to 25, um, probably the most important thing that happened to me besides getting an MBA and CPA, which weren't that important, was um, learning how to navigate the inner work with, with Zen. And so I learned uh, controlling the breath and then the Zen practice is to use the breath as your concentration object to develop a deeply concentrated mind. That's as far as the Zen master went with us, but we practiced that every day for four years. And um, I practice every day for four years and we practice in long sits on Thursday nights. And then we Zen Mountain Monastery, we would go up in Woodstock, New York twice a year for long four day weekends. So I learned how to use the breath, deep nostril breathing in a practice I now call box breathing. We didn't do the box pattern, but I did. Uh, I learned that in the seals or I started doing it in the seals was a way to de-stress our body and our brain and to turn within, right? So I learned that any decent meditative practice started with box breathing. And then that could, um, from there, you could use the practice to deepen your concentration, to focus on the right thing, the right time, and to maintain that focus for a long time. And then you could begin to, with a concentrated mind, you could begin to use imagery effectively and powerfully. So when I said that I practiced visualization for nine months, that happened after, in each sitting session, after I practiced the breath practice for arousal control or stress management, then for concentration, and then from a deeply concentrated mind, which had the, um, the ability to take deeper perspectives on itself, or literally a metacognitively shift into an observing perspective, then I could observe different patterns that would arise, and I could also visualize something that was important to me. But without com coming from the stress uh, release, arousal control, and practicing concentration, I could never do that because my mind was too, my mind and my body, I should say, brain is the body after all, was too agitated and too distractible. 
because I had that Zen practice and the uh, breath control training that came partly through my martial arts, partly through the Zen and experimentation, I was able to maintain concentration and then to insert visualization and to hold that visualization for a long period of time. So it would take root, right? I could I can embody it. Super powerful. Now, what um, the first experience I had that said, I'm onto something here was this, you know, period of time where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was going to be a Navy SEAL because I've been practicing this stuff every day. The second time was um, when I was in SEAL qualification training, which is after buzz, but before I get to SEAL Team 3. And um, I was at a night parachute jump and I jump, you know, I'm jumping out of the plane, I'm second out and we're only doing a static line. This is not free fall, high speed, low drag stuff. It's like a thousand, 1100 uh, foot static line jump and I'm second person off the ramp. First person is my, my teammate, Chris. And so I jump off the ramp and it's beautiful night and I'm thinking, this is really cool. You know, I don't have to worry about pulling the ripcord. So the stress level was rather uh, moderate because of static line. And um, I'm cruising along and suddenly I see a canopy, which I knew to be Chris coming right toward me. And somehow he had done a full, you know, 360 and headed back toward me. And he was gonna collide with me. And I knew that our SOP was, we're both supposed to pull our right tile. If I pull my right tile, I go this way, he pulls his right tile. He goes that way, we both miss each other. I pull my right, he pulls his left and we collide. And my parachute just goes, it collapses. And I start plummeting to the earth. Now that all happens about 800 feet, which gives me about eight seconds to live. So immediately, I don't know why, but because probably because I had practiced it now for four or five years going up to this moment, I went back to the deep breathing and I went back to my imagery, right? And that's all happening in like really quick real time. But the experience of time was like slowing down before my very eyes. And then I went, you know, the imagery was all the, the training that we did for um, crisis response in case of a midair collision, right? which were, it was very simple, but I had done it repeatedly. And so it was reach up, pull the risers, try to catch the mirror. So I did this and I'm breathing and time is just going like tick, tick. And I didn't catch any air. So then I um, look down and I basically pull the ripcord on my reserve. I punch it, grab it, throw it out into the wind and shake that. And now I'm down at maybe like 500 feet by this time, but I'm just breathing slowly through my mind, just, you know, just methodically going through this, not thinking about anything else. That goes up and does not catch any air either. So instead of panicking, which led to death, I go back up and start shaking the risers again, right? And about 50 feet before I hit the ground, the main sheet goes from boom. It doesn't fully inflate, but it starts inflating and it slows me down enough to where I have a really, really hard landing, but I do a perfect parachute landing fall. Don't break any bones, no concussion. I literally am fine. That time period, the experience from the collision to landing to me felt like minutes. And it was because my mind was in that like discrete flow state. Now I didn't have to hope for flow to happen. I activated it. I activated because I trained my mind through breath and through the concentrated, straight, uh, um, concentrated mind and to like really dial that up really quickly to kind of like take control of that situation. 
it was profound. I couldn't, you know, I, I probably couldn't recreate that set of, nor would I want to because of the risk I had to recreate that. The second one that was really profound to me, and there were so many of these, and any military operator that, you know, listening to this knows what I'm talking about, where you're just like, what the F just happened there? That was cool, and it saved my life, right? This one was, I was in a sealed delivery vehicle, which is our mini submarines. I was at the unit in Hawaii called Sealed Delivery Vehicle 1, and we were on this long training mission. And, you know, we had the saying in the SEALs, one is none, two is one. And so in this case for, you know, relating to my equipment, the SDV has a, a full wraparound face mask, which is part of what we call the boat air. So we had boat had tanks of oxygen, so we didn't just have to use our dragger. Um, so the idea was, you know, we would launch this SDV off the back of a nuclear sub and we would go do our mission. In this case, it was like four, four or five hour underwater navigation that we had to uh, go and then we would do the mission then we go back and rendezvous with the submarine the big submarine and we're on boat air until we get to our objective or close to our objective then we bottom out the boat we put on our dragger which is the lar 5 closed circuit breathing system and then a regular you know we all get jocked up and we leave the stv there in the bottom with a homing device on it and then we go do our mission at any rate so about like 20 minutes into this op, I'm underwater and I'm cruising along and I'm the navigator and the listed seal is the pilot. My face mask, my full face mask, this seal bursts and it just, and it fills up with water and, and it's useless all of a sudden. And I can't see anything. And it's very disorienting. And so I reach behind me to grab my mask, my backup mask. It's not my backup, it's my primary for the next phase of the mission, but it's my backup in this case and I can't find it. I somehow it had, just kind of like gotten lost when we packed the gear and then I never found it. I had no idea what happened to it. And so there I am. I have no ability to see, but I still have, you know, a regulator in my mouth so I can breathe. So I, you know, I poke the, um, the navigator and he looks over and he sees what happened and he asks about my mask and I'm like, I can barely see him. I said, I don't have it. And so he takes over navigation and piloting, and he was experienced enough to do that. And I was pretty much useless. So what did I do? Did I panic? No. I went back to my box breathing. And I went back to a, a concentration practice of breathing with a mantra. And the mantra I used was a mantra that I developed in BUDS, which kept me really positive and, and uh, feeling kind of like strong, courageous. That's the mantra is feeling good, looking good. I'm ought to be, I ought to be in Hollywood. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood. Right. And so here I go, inhale, hold my breath. And I'm underwater in the middle of the freaking ocean It's dark as hell out. Most people think seals are in some warm, comfy submarine and then they just go out like the abyss. No, like it's miserable and you're underwater for hours and hours and hours. It's very disorienting, but it's also very cool. And we got four and a half to five hours to go. And so I'm like, I've got to figure something out. So I start breathing and start saying my mantra and I'm, you know, visualizing, you know, success, what the successful mission. And all of a sudden I get this tap on my shoulder and it's the, uh, you know, it's the driver. And he's like, Mark, we're here. Thumbs up. And he's shaking me. And I was like, what do you mean we're here? Because we're here. And four hours went like that. Yeah. Literally, I just literally lost myself in the most unbelievable space in four hours went like in 20 minutes. 
So the opposite experience than yeah. the free fall. It was profound. And then, so those experience and others, right? I had um, an experience where I was at a shooting range and um, it was early in the morning. And by this time in my career in the SEALs and I'd practiced these skills for so long that they just became natural. When I wake up in the morning, every, the first thing I do is box breathing, mantra training and imagery work. And now I'm walking to the, the firing range and I'm breathing and I'm just like visualizing my uh, day and sh you know what I'm going to do and, and getting ready to practice my shooting skills. And I have this sensation that someone's put, you know, has put their hand on my right shoulder and said, stop, Mark. And I'm like, oh, so I stopped. That moment, exact moment, I heard a round fired off of a nine millimeter pistol, a six hour. And the bullet came whizzing by and literally the air brushed my ear. It didn't touch me, but I could feel the air go. And I looked around to see who had stopped me, who had just saved my life. And there was nobody there. Right? And I was like, oh. and I also looked at the guy who tried to shoot me. I had the accidental discharge. He didn't do it on purpose. It happened to be the same guy who ran into me in the parachute accident. <laughs> stay away from that guy. Yes, stay away from the charm. Exactly. I did stay away from after that pretty bad. And so that was another, it was different experience, but I was in that state. And this is probably more from a long period of time where I was deeply connected to my, um, my gut and my heart and the, you know, the intu you know, the intuitive wisdom of that, of your body mind that, you know, it was like, stop right here, Mark, because you know what, this is coming. And it did come. And if I hadn't paid attention to that, you know, I would have been toast. And a lot of uh, warriors, a lot of friends of mine have had similar experience. I had a, another friend of mine who was um, in Afghanistan and at Mohazir Sharif, I think is how it's said, something like that. But anyways, where um, this guy named Nicky Spain or Johnny Spain, he was a CIA officer who was captured. And this was like a prison, an old Taliban prison. And a special forces unit was sent there to, to recover him. And this SEAL friend of mine was attached to the special forces unit. And um, anyways, they come under fire by a superior force, you know, like 20 or 30 Taliban shooting at this, you know, six man or seven man team. And, uh, and the team is hunkered down behind, uh, you know, like a, a, a berm or something like that. And they're trying to, you know, take pot shots and, and my SEAL friend who had these similar skills is like breathing into this and just like scanning the environment. He's getting himself into state. And so, you know, he just notices everything starts to slow down, you know, like, like in the matrix where Neo's in the matrix and sees the bullets and he can see, you know, which weapon's going to be firing next and the whole pattern. And he just gets up and he starts moving in a leapfrog fashion, shooting and taking out the enemy alone because, you know, the special forces guys or the green berets are like, what's this guy doing? You know, he's absolutely nuts. He's going to get killed. But this guy knew like with a sense of certainty, just like I did. I talked about earlier. He knew that this was not his day, that this was his moment actually to go take care of business. And it was the skills of breath control, concentration and imagery that allowed him to slow that time down and to be able to just kind of weave between the bullets and leapfrog in there. And he literally took out almost all these guys until the rest of the guys got up and started helping them out. They're even studying this now in the, in the military because so many individuals have had precognitions, uh, uh, sensations that where they're like, stop, you know, and sure enough, there's a roadside bomb right ahead. 
or you know, like this uh, situation I was talking about or my experiences. So I've come to believe from those experiences and, and what I've been training to the other SEALs. Here, here, let me bring this to a practical point with the, the SEAL candidates. So I started training these skills to SEAL candidates at SEALFIT, through SEALFIT in 2006. And um, at first, like I said, they, they were kind of like looking at me cross-eyed, like, what are you talking about? Are we just gonna sit here? We're supposed to be out, you know, picking up logs and running with boats on our head. And I said, well, that'll come, you know, and we're gonna do that. But first we're gonna sit here and we'll practice our breathing. And then we're gonna practice, um, you know, concentration. And then we're gonna practice, you know, how to stay focused under pressure in the moment with a mantra or this process I call the worm or witness interdict, redirect and maintain process. It's attention control. And then we're gonna practice imagery and task orientation, right? How do, you how do you discreetly determine what's the right task at the right time for the right reason? And then you take it boldly and then you figure out what's the next task. And to help them understand, I just called it micro goals. But you know, there's a lot, there was a lot there. And so I taught these skills and I, and I learned really quickly, like I said, I had to take the foo out of the Kung Fu. I couldn't tell them I was teaching them yoga or Zen or anything like yeah. that. I just said, these are battlefield skills that I used and my teammates use. And these will A, make you a better warrior, B, keep you alive and make you super resilient. You know, so you don't have to deal with combat related stress. And they believed me probably because I was a commander and um, I was believable, right? At least at that time, <laughs> some authenticity. And I had the stories to back me up, right? And yeah. so I began training them and they were then, they would then go into SEAL training and do their thing and report back to me. And that, a couple of things. Number one, I found out that 90% of these guys were making it through SEAL training. I mentioned that um, frequently, so it may not be new uh, to some of you. 90% of those who train with SEAL fit skills, breath control, you know, attention control, imagery and, and micro task orientation get through SEAL training. That's extraordinary because 85% of the average person who tries fails. Yeah. So something's different. And now the SEALs are teaching these skills, right? Now, believe it or not, like I say this to executives, if the SEALs have picked this up and are starting to teach breath control, attention control, imagery, and micro-task orientation and mindfulness, why wouldn't you, right? We need these skills to navigate BUCA, right? So that's kind of- Absolutely. Anyways, I, I know there's probably a bunch of questions that have surfaced. Um, I'm also going to, I always like to open up to Marion for a question because she has such great notes from, uh, from our podcast before and she'll have something to draw out of that. But awesome. um, I just, I also want to bring it back when, um, when you were talking about um, meditation. And it's so funny because when you talk to people about meditation, they say, oh, I tried. I can't do that. I can't concentrate. And, and I always say to them, you know, you're, it's literally like starving and not eating. When you're starving <laughs> to death, you eat. When you can't concentrate, that's starving to death. That's why you have to meditate. And then the other thing is they say, well, I tried, I didn't get anything out of it. Not realizing that there's nothing you're supposed to get out of it. You know, it's something that you do for years and years and years. So when you're in another situation, it's already there. Right. Um, it, it's, it's not that the third time you do it, you go, oh, I'm enlightened. Yes, <laughs> there yeah. it is. That's great. No, right. I, I really appreciate your, your very practical stories about where it does come into, into real play. Um, you know, tr tr trust that if you do it enough, there will be a time when, it, when you'll get it. You don't, you don't have yeah, to and, get it And you will in. experience the benefits, but it's just not in a linear fashion and you can't yeah. benchmark it like a, like a workout, you know, and, and we're, sure. we're used to having um, externally, you know, perceivable results. But when you're working yeah. on meditation, there's nothing external. It's more like internal perceivable results. The more you practice and the better you get at using the skills, 
then the more you begin to ascertain the internal trail markers that say, hey, this is leading me in the right direction. Yep. And what does that feel like? So you're looking for more kind of a sense of, wow, my life is in control because I'm controlling my inside instead of looking for control on the outside. That's a, that's a yep. real perceivable outcome. Or I feel like really much more at peace. I feel content. Yep. Or Absolutely. I'm able to connect deeper with my family because I'm more present. I'm less distracted. And your family says, wow, there's something different about you. And you're like, yeah, it's because I've been practicing the box breathing and meditation. Or like what happened to me, you begin to feel a sense that you're misaligned. Like this is really important for everyone right now. Like you got time. If you didn't like your job or if you thought you were going in the wrong direction, now's the time to start meditating because the answer lies within. The answer for our, our true calling and what we're supposed to do and, and maybe not the how yet, but the why behind it comes from um, within. But if you don't slow down and learn to look within, then you might miss it. And you might just and go even, back to the same old patterns. Even just the time it takes to commute. I mean, people are looking at it as an opportunity to sleep in longer or check more Facebook. That alone, that time you'd be commuting is a perfect time to learn to meditate. So um, I want to um, give uh, Marion a chance to, to chime in here. And then um, anyone else who um, has a question, put it, either put it into the chat or if you are a um, Zoom master, you can also raise that little blue hand. I think um, a lot of people right now are dealing with various kinds of stress. Um, I've heard a lot of people telling stories about just the stress of being in close proximity continuously with you know extended family that maybe they're not used to being so close to so continuously <laughs> or the opposite being removed from their loved ones that they can't be with um, or just that helplessness. And I wonder if you have some of the tactics that you have learned or talked about that might be helpful to people facing those situations. First of all, I don't want to um, be in denial about how challenging this is for everyone. So I, you know, so I don't want to come off of like, yeah, just just think like a Navy SEAL and you'll have no problem, right? Um, even I'm dealing with a lot of stress, but it's not, you know, for my stress is just more the corporate level. Like Joe, like Joe's stress is my stress, maybe, but at a different magnitude, right? It's like, okay, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stake. A lot of people, a lot of people counting on us to figure this out. So that's what I'm navigating. Um, there's a couple of thoughts here. Stress just is, right? There's always stress. So now you're just experiencing a different version of stress. The stress that you had before that you were bitching about was overcommitment, you know, the constant crush of deadlines, uh, having to commute, having to be around people you didn't necessarily like to be around at work. Um, you know, insert your version of it, right? So that stress is gone and now you've just replaced it with this other stuff. And so you have, you know, consider that it's your orientation to stress that is really the problem. Because stress just is, it's just stuff. It's just stuff that happens. It's just circumstances. Circumstances are always there and they'll always change. So you can either let stress be useful. We call that you stress, or you can let stress debilitate you. We call that distress. And that is a choice. That's a choice. Remember anything that happens externally to you, you have a choice on how you respond to it, how you handle that. So the way you would approach this, in my opinion, is to look at those stressors and say, you know what? This is an opportunity. The, the stress of being around people, opportunity, uh, new people. The stress of um, worrying about cash flow, opportunity. The stress of, you know, wondering about what's happened, opportunity, right? So I can then 
take a look at that opportunity and begin to ask better questions. What's, here's two really powerful questions. What's the worst thing that could happen? And what's the best possible outcome from that? So those are powerful questions. Now, the second thing is the skill of breath control, box breathing, and what we've been talking, Johnny and I have been talking about is like a, a, uh, a sledgehammer to stress, right? When you practice box breathing, and, and, um, and I can give a little, you know, kind of sequence in a moment, as a daily practice, then you not only set yourself up to win in your mind and your body for that day, but every day that you do it begins to bleed off all excess stress and give you the sense of internal control. And the only thing that we can control is our internal world. So that is like our antidote to stress. We inoculate ourselves against stress and fear by having a daily practice every morning, first thing before you get going with the day, of box breathing, concentration, mindfulness, and visualization. And then when we go out in our day, all that stress that comes at us, it's like hitting a shield, right? It's just bouncing off. And anytime it comes on, because we have multiple incoming, um, you know, weapon systems coming at us, then we activate that process again in the moment. And this is like what I did in the, in the submarine or in the free fall jump. We come back to those skills and we use them in the big four pattern of slow down my breathing, gain attention control, maintain a positive focus on what's going on, remember why I'm here and what I'm gonna do about it, that's the imagery, and think about what's the next task, like what's the smallest action I can take right now because doubt is eliminated through action alone. We call those big four skills. So we use the same type of skills, both for daily practice to deepen our connection and insight and to bleed off stress and in the moment of highest pressure to activate flow and to navigate that moment, um, you know, gracefully and to avoid the stress of, you know, of what could be if we don't do that, right? Where if you can, you know, if you succumb to the fight or flight and the overwhelm and, and the, you know, the fear. So to overcome fear, to stare down fear, you know, you got to win in your mind every morning through your morning practice. This is like putting, it's like jocking up, putting your suit of armor on, you know, and, and, uh, and your helmet. And so that when you step out into that stress-filled external world, you know, this stuff, bullets just bounce off of you. And then you maintain cool under fire by every time, you know, you get into a situation that's new or that's stressful, whether it's a, you know, it's a, this current situation, let's say in a longer term time frame, or like during your day, you're dealing with a, you know, a difficult conversation or, you know, just some reactionary patterns that you didn't, you know, that's starting to leak out. I think everyone's starting to experience stuff that you thought you had under control is leaking out all over the place, either for you or someone else, right? Then you just breathe into it and come back to that deep diaphragmatic breathing. I'm not suggesting you do box breathing in the middle of the day, but you, could, you just release the box pattern and keep that deep diaphragmatic pattern. We call that tactical breathing. And um, you just pause, breathe, think clearly about what's really going on and what reaction you're about to have or just did have and make a different choice around it and then take a small action that's gonna lead you to the other side of this gracefully. We call that in the pause, hey, pause, breathe, think and act. I could keep going here, Johnny. Sorry. I know, that's <laughs> I, I'm gonna try and manage three things in the four minutes that I have remaining. 
Oh, I thought we had three more hours. No, no, Darn it. No, it's, it's four if you include the profound thanks I want to give to you on behalf of everyone. So I'm going to do that now. So thank you so much. And I'll, I'll repeat that at the end. Um, I have one question from Tony that I want to put there real quick. And we'll do a one minute answer to that. Um, I want you to let us know where people can find you, find your good stuff, um, uh, where your offerings are. And then I want Marion to let people know what's coming up uh, in the upcoming days on the podcast. So uh, Tony has a great question. Tony, I'm going to appreciate it for you real quickly because um, I just want to get it in quickly to Mark. Tony said, um, you know, when discussing meditation, a lot of people think about, you know, sitting on a, on a cushion in a dark room. Um, and he said, you know, quite often he finds it very meditative to be out running long distances in the woods by himself. And he's, he's wondering, do you see value in that as a meditative practice as well? Uh, absolutely. I think um, as long as you're not overly distracted and, and oftentimes running is a great, um, a great way to, to bleed off stress. Um, but it's a very active process. So if you want to uh, take, you know, a, like a pause while you're running or at the end of the run and just either stand or sit and just, just do nothing, just sit in total absorption, total silence for three to five minutes, I think you'll find tremendous benefit. You know, and this is, I've had this conversation so often with endurance athletes. They say, well, I don't have, you know, I'm an active person. I don't have the time to sit and run. I can't, or to sit and, and meditate. So I go out and, and meditate on the run. And I would say that's more like concentration, right? When I would run, I would, I was practicing concentration because my body is really active and it's a simple, it's a simple motor function, but it's very active. That's concentration training, super valuable. At the end of that, just sit and notice what comes up and then you'll find mindfulness. Uh, you'll find more mindful awareness and you'll might get some great insights and understanding about, you know, your own nature and what you're meant to do in this life from that maybe get some more alignment and some more clarity. Cool. Thank you. And thanks very much, Tony Matisse, for the question. I love you, man. Great um, uh, yeah. And um, Mark, before I turn it over to Mary and just sort of let people know uh, why they're coming back tomorrow and the next day, if you can let everyone know um, where, where their best place to find you, what, what website, where, uh, where, where they can stay in touch with your offering. Sure. Well, if you guys found some value and you think that you'd like to learn some more of these skills, um, we ha I have actually another hour and a half long free webinar for you at unbeatablemind.com, unbeatablemind.com, all one word. And you'll see the link. It's right. You know, it's the main thing you'll see. Yeah, I just recorded this webinar last, uh, last week. It's called, a, it's called how to overcome fear and doubt in uncertain times, some fantastic content. And I go deeper into what some of the things I talked about today. Also, you'll see as part of that, um, I'm offering 30 days free of our, world-class unbeatable mind online course which is chock full of great training all the box breathing we talked about the concentration training um some movement stuff and some some thinking on how to win in your mind before you step foot in the battle so unbeatablemind.com is your go-to right now for probably the best stuff i have to offer and if you want to read a book about overcoming fear and staring down your shadow my new book is out called staring down the wolf and you can learn about that at staringdownthewolf.com and also access like three to four hours of free training Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, this has been a phenomenal hour and uh, to, to know that all that is still in store is pretty, pretty exciting. So I, I want to turn it over to Marion and Marion, if you can let us know um, uh, what's up the next couple of days, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll make it super quick. Thank you, Mark. That just flew by. Um, tomorrow, same hour, we have Bruce Babishan. He's a boxing coach and a business coach and just a, a great, really interesting thinker. The day after that, on Thursday, Kenny Mamarella de Cruz, he calls himself the man whisperer. And then the next day we have Doug Lewis, who's been here with us on a bunch of these sessions. He's a two-time Olympic downhill skier um, and a, he runs a 
sports and goal setting camp for kids. Um, and then the last thing is, if anybody wants a copy of the schedule, email me, Marion A at Spartan. If you forgot any of the information Mark gave, I'm happy to get that to you as well. And um, tomorrow we're publishing a really special episode. It's one we published before, but we wanted to re-release it. And that is with Dan Crowley, who is a Baton Death March survivor. Um, and it just a, a really kind of life-affirming um, conversation. So that that's on our that's on our YouTube channel, right? That is on our our podcast and on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Awesome. That'll thank come you up so much. Mark, awesome. thank that was awesome. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you again, Mark. And I, I just focused. want to mention because because our next few are all men, I want to let you know we have lots of great women coming up, including uh, Rose Wetzel, Amelia Boone, a bunch of others. We had Kristen Ulmer the other day. Thank you guys. Y'all rock. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this recording of our daily Spartan Up podcast Zoom chats. You can get a schedule for upcoming guests and sessions by following us on Instagram at Spartan Up Podcast or on Twitter at Spartan Up Pod. This episode of Spartan Up is brought to you by Fresh Meal Plan. Deliciously prepared meals delivered right to your door. Visit freshmealplan.com slash Spartan and use the code SPARTAN50 to save $50 on your first two weeks.